When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. The only daily Premier League podcast. This is Football Social Daily. Carlo Magnifico. Devastating Dominic and another victory for the Toffees. Calvert-Lewin in the headlines again because he scored again and Everton won again, this time in the Carabao Cup. A second hat-trick in the space of a month for the striker who surely is knocking at the door of an England call-up. Also, handball! It's the word on everyone's lips at the moment. Massive debate caused over the weekend because of it, but is it ruining the game? We've waited for the dust to settle, and after word that the Premier League are after another rule change, we ask where the controversial law could be altered. Plus, Chris Woff from The Athletic joins us as we put Newcastle United under floodlight focus, and Dan from the Game Week podcast is here to go through all the latest fantasy Premier League picks. I'm Niall and this is Football Social Daily, the only Premier League podcast with a brand new show every single day of the season. Alongside me, we've got Jim Salverson. Hello, Jim. You're right, Niall. Yeah, I'm very well. And we've also got Straight Talking Stefan on the podcast as well for another week. Hi, Steph. Hi there. It's probably not the best episode to get me on this handball one, is it really? <laughs> well, I'm hoping for some straight talking, no nonsense comment from you Fair today. Enough. So uh, I'm looking forward to discussing the handball rule. Um, but first, I want to talk about Everton and more specifically, Dominic Calvert-Lewin. Now, they've started the season on absolute fire. Dominic Calvert-Lewin has been such a key part of that. It's his second hat-trick of the season already. Another three goals to his name last night. Carlo Ancelotti's been telling him to play like... Filippo Inzaghi well he's certainly <laughs> taken that advice at the moment I mean how impressive has he been very I think's the answer to that question we can take last night's hat trick with a slight pinch of salt because it was against a very poor West Ham defense and it was a, even a second I mean our, our West Ham's first string defense is poor our second string defense is diabolical so 
I mean, I might have been able to score a hat-trick against them. So let's knock that out of the equation. But even with that not being considered, Calvert-Lewin has been fantastic already this season. He's been chipping in with the goals. He's been leading the Everton line. And what I think is the biggest stamp of approval is the fact that Carlo Ancelotti hasn't even considered. He hasn't looked to replace him as the focal of the Everton attack. And when you consider the amount of investment Everton have had in their playing squad over the last, well, over the summer going back to when Ancelotti took over just before the January window, it's not one of the players he's considered changing. And I think that speaks volumes as to the faith he has in the player and the potential of the player as well. Yeah, certainly you feel that Calvert-Lewin has come on leaps and bounds in the last two seasons. From where he started and being signed from Carlisle United down in the Football League, Stefan, to then becoming a a player who's potentially in line for an England call-up. I mean, he couldn't have dreamed to have a better start to the season than two hat-tricks in the opening month. Amazing. Surely he's got to get um, a call from Gareth Southgate at the end of this week saying he's in the England squad. Unbelievable. The way he took his first call. Honestly, <clears throat> I'm going to say this now. I think that's the sexiest thing I've seen this year. That ball over the top from <laughs> Michael Keane. He, he even had a little bit of skill at the back. And now he floated over the top and it just landed gracefully on his foot. Nice little bit of skill. Finish. One of the sexiest things I've ever seen now. Unbelievable. And his haircut's even sexier. I can see I can see why Ancelotti said, get a bit of a Felipe Inzaghi in you because that hairstyle is a bit Inzaghi, isn't it? I, I love it. So, yeah, number one, go for it. Um, get in the England squad, hopefully. Um, why not? He's been, he's probably, him and Jamie Vardy have probably been the two informed strikers, uh, English strikers this year. And Jamie Vardy's already ruled himself out. So, mm surely Calvert-Lewin is going to get a call up. I think it's interesting you mentioned about his hairstyle because he's quite an eccentric character off the pitch, Calvert-Lewin. Go and check out his Instagram. He loves his wacky fashion, to say the least. Um, But those are the sort of characters you need in your team, Jim. It would be so boring and it wouldn't really make for a decent team unit if everyone was the same. And, And, you know, it's so important. I think it's understated how important characters are in the dressing room, no matter how different they are off the field, as long as they are cohesive on the field, it can make a big difference. Yeah, completely. I mean, you do need that mix of characters. You need your leaders, you need your thinkers and all that kind of thing. And whether he fits into the dynamic of the England squad or not remains to be seen. But he certainly does deserve that call up on that chance to I mean, you're always going to be playing second fiddle for England because Harry Kane is the main man. But who's going to be the second choice? It's if you're talking about whether you have Danny Ings or Calvert-Lewin, I mean, it, it's, it's a bit of a no-brainer for me that. Even though you've got Danny Ings banging in the goals for Southampton, picking up where he went off last season, Calvert-Lewin does seem like he's on the, certainly on the road to becoming the finished article. And he's a good age as well, potentially to play for England for the next six, seven mm. years. So, yeah, I mean, it looks absolutely quality. And let's not forget, this isn't him suddenly finding form this season because he was decent for Everton last year as well. He just didn't have the same quality of player around him. So Mm. the introduction of players like James Rodriguez at Everton has just opened up that supply line to him. And he appears, certainly off the first three weeks of the season, to be a player that if you give him the opportunities, if you give him the chances to score, he will finish off those opportunities. Yeah, and I think Ancelotti as well has been trying to coach him in one-touch finishing, which is where the link to Inzaghi comes from, because Inzaghi was the master of the poaching finish, the one-touch finish. If you look at all of Calvert-Lewin's goals so far this season, just see if you can go back and count how many are one-touches, because there is a fair few, and it seems like that coaching is paying off. I'm glad you mentioned Ings, Jim, because... 
Stefan mentioned Jamie Vardy. So I wanted to ask you, we'll start with you, Stefan, first. Where, where does Dominic Calvert-Lewin rank amongst the English strikers that we see in the Premier League at the moment? Of course, there's Kane, there's Vardy, there's Danny Ings, there's Mason Greenwood coming through. I mean, surely he is putting himself in the mix to, to really challenge Kane and Vardy at this moment in time to be the most informed striker from an England perspective. He's, he's the number two behind Harry Kane, as Jim said, but he's a different type of player to Marcus Rashford or Mason Greenwood. These are players who come in off the wing to sit in a little bit deeper and, and really attack the goal and run towards the goal. But Calvert-Lewin's more of a goal poacher, you just said. So apart from Harry Kane, he, he's really the guy who's going to sit in the pocket in and around the box and just take tappings. And you need that sort of player. As you said, we've referenced him twice now. Inzaghi was that player. And Dominic Calvin-Lewin seems to be the English version of that. So I would always have him in the England squad because you're not always going to get full fitness off Kane. Um, and sometimes it's good to have a bit of an impact from a player like that. Uh, and it's a different style of, different type of impact to what Rashford and Greenwood could do. So yeah, I, sure, surely surely, uh, Southgate's got to give him a chance. Yeah, I mean, you're, you're spot on. He's second in line at the moment. I mean, he's probably more in form than Harry Kane, but just Harry Kane is undroppable in that England squad. And I think he fits quite well into Gareth Southgate's plans. We'll see what he announces later when he reveals the squad for the next international break. But... As Stefan says, he plays that focal role. He's so the, he's the central player compared to the likes of Greenwood and Rashford and Sterling who play more attacking roles on the wings. But Southgate likes to model his style of England play on the same type of football that the likes of Pep Guardiola are playing in the Premier League at the moment where you have these fast players on the wings kind of cutting it back into the box and you need that one-touch finisher. So I think, yeah... Calvert-Lewin is a great addition and should get his chance in the England squad and fits the format, fits the, the the current ideologies around the England team quite well at the moment. The Everton Express rolls on. Another victory for them. Will we see them pick up three more points in the Premier League at the weekend? Of course, we'll have a full preview show on Saturday morning, so make sure you go and check that out. All you need to do is hit subscribe. I wonder whether we'll be talking about handballs when we pick apart the matches after they take place because it caused huge controversy this weekend. Handball is the word right now. We haven't discussed it actually on the podcast, probably because there's been so much chat about it everywhere. We thought we'd wait for it for, wait for it to settle down a little bit before we discussed it. But I wanted to mention, Jim, that the Premier League clubs are said to be ready to lobby IFAB or IFAB who make the game's laws. But apparently the rules can't be changed halfway through a season. The next AGM to discuss law changes takes place in March. So that's quite a long way to wait with the season already being controversial through handball in just the space of a month. So Jamie Carragher on commentary in one of the games said it was ruining the game of football. I mean, is the, is he right? Would you agree with that? This current handball law is taking the enjoyment out of the game? Firstly, I think it's quite right that the rule can't be changed. Sorry, the law can't be changed within a season because I think it creates an unfair playing field and all the teams who have conceded penalties to this quite frankly ridiculous new handball rule would have cause for much complaint if it was changed so we're stuck with it for the time being but yeah it's been they've made a complete mess of this one and I think handball's been a little bit of a mess for a few years and it all sprung from trying to almost create a defined way of deciding whether something was a handball or not. Whereas for me, I think handball is all about the intent of the player and the impact it has on the game. So does the handball give the player an advantage 
in any way. If so, then that is a foul. Is the player intending to touch the ball with his arm or hand? If so, that is a foul. And you can't tell whether a player intends to do something from their body shape. Just because they're jumping with their arms maybe slightly outstretched from their body doesn't necessarily mean there is an intent to handle the ball. And it becomes really difficult. And because they've quantified it and gone, well, it's... And I forget what the exact rule is. There's lines and lines on this. If you, it's the T-shirt line. The T-shirt line on the arm. But then if you have your arms a certain degree away from your body, that is also then becomes a, a hand, handball decision. Because they kind of, they've quantified it and gone, these are the criteria it needs to reach. It means, essentially, players can't move their arms from behind their sides. And it's impossible to jump well with your arms by your sides. I think I heard someone on another sports radio output somewhere saying you might as well have four seven-foot salmon at the back of your (laughs) defensive line, which is kind of the case, because that's how you have to jump to defend. So, yeah, I mean, it's confusing. It's been made a mess of, and as we've seen from the first few weeks of the season, it just means you're getting loads of ridiculous handball decisions. Stefan, is this one of those things where they've changed something to the point where they've almost gone too far and they've changed it unnecessarily because there was always going to be calls for them to change the handball rule and they've done so and they're probably going to be sat there in their ivory towers going, well, we've changed the rule, what more do you want? When actually they've probably not really taken into consideration the initial problems that people had with handball and why the game was being considered unfair because of it. Should they just go back to the drawing board and and make it square one where the old rule used to be if you deliberately handle the ball, you'll be penalised. I mean, it's to stop people from catching the ball and punching the ball and slapping yeah. the ball and all the rest of it. Yeah, 100%. I hate it now. I absolutely hate it. One of the defining moments of my childhood, and I think anybody's childhood, when they played uh, Sunday League football for the local team, was that shout that went out in the penalty area, accidental ref, accidental ref. Ball to hand. <laughs> oh, just... just yeah, just to think that there's young people up and down across the country not being able to shout that anymore because as soon as a ball goes near their hand, the referee puts the whistle in his mouth and it's a penalty. I hate it. And everybody who likes football hates it. And Jim had many, many, many good points there, but I, f- I feel like even Jim's being too democratic there. I don't understand why you just don't change the rule right here, right now, because nobody wants it. And it's just going to cause complaints every day every time every time there's a there's a football game on and i think it's going to lead to more problems in the long run um if they keep it as opposed to just saying all right hands up we've got this wrong let's change this now and then at least it settles the whole thing down again and football mm. becomes football again it, it's just it's just causing problems and that that kind of amplified by var makes it even worse now now you yeah. know me you know i am mm. not a rugby fan I don't like rugby at all. But in 1895, <laughs> 22 teams came together and said, we don't like the new rules that have been imposed on us and split off and created what many people would say now is a more exciting league. I would love it if there were 22 teams said, right, that's it. We've had enough. We're starting our own non-handball rule, non-VAR football league. And do you know what? Everybody <laughs> would be watching it. And talking about... um how is is this ruining football? The the uh, chairman of Matlock Town um, se- uh, posted a tweet which was perfect, which which basically said, um, "This isn't ruining football because if you come down to the lower leagues and you watch the lower league football, 
we don't have this rule so football is not ruined come and see us and that is exactly right it's just going to mm. turn people away from watching premier league from watching these lucrative leagues and going back to a more grassroots thing and do you know what if that's what happens then I'm fine with it. Yeah, certainly the non-league clubs need the money, don't they, at this moment in time. I think it's a really good point, yeah. though, as well, that Stefan makes, Jim, because you say about it being the right thing that the rule isn't changed until the summer when there's been a full season. But also, I think that it's interesting that it's mentioned that, well, if people get used to the rule and then you change it again, does that surely not cause even more confusion? I remember when people said about VAR, or oh, it's only for a season, it's only for a season. And once it's bedded in for a season, it almost feels foolish to get rid of it because everyone's used to it then. In some cases, yes. I'm not sure this is a particular example of that because I think it's becoming very apparent that the rule has been got wrong, even from the way it's implemented. And half of the problem here... I think is the consistency. We're seeing very similar incidents in different games just within the Premier League in one weekend that are being judged in different ways. And my feeling there is because the referees don't necessarily believe in the rule themselves and they're using their own common sense exactly as a referee should do when a ball is struck, for example, from a yard away, hard at a player, they get their arm in the way sometimes that has been considered a penalty sometimes it isn't and because I think there isn't this belief there isn't this faith in the rules it's being like I say it's being judged different ways the referees are deciding themselves how to interpret the rule so I think that's part of the problem so yeah I do get what you're saying that once a rule is bedded in then you change it again it it still needs a certain period of time to kind of be be seen if it works almost but I think in this case that isn't the situation. I think it's not a rule that will be continued beyond the end of the season. Whether they finally t- bite the bullet if 20 Premier League clubs are in agreement and go, look, we're not doing this anymore. Whether they, it will be a change in the near future, I don't know. I doubt it. I think we'll be looking at next season and for this season, we'll just have to lump it. But also, Niall, if, if you look at... It's changing the game in terms of how, how the game is actually played because... The, the projection that they, they uh, had on Sky Sports of the weekend was that by the end of the season, there'll be something daft like 85 to 90 penalties awarded because of handball, uh, handball, handball, as opposed to, um, as opposed to what, like 20 a season. So it's amplifying that so much. So it, it's almost like games are now being decided by penalties, which they weren't before. So the, the game is going to evolve. You're going to have, you're going to have specialist penalty kick takers and things like that. It's just going to change the game. Um, and that that's wrong. Yeah, I think it's important you mention as well that, you know, you talk about Matlock Town and non-league sides, you know, the rules are meant for the entire game of football, not just for those elite leagues who do have the luxury of technology and forensic analysis where they can dive into it and they can go to the side of the pitch and look at a screen. You need to make it easy for those grassroots referees. You need to make it easy for those referees who get up on a Sunday morning for the enjoyment of the game to get the game on for everyone in these tough times in particular and make sure that the handball rule is consistent. It's all well and good watching it on the TV and seeing the Premier League referees deciding certain things. But if that's within the laws of the game, it's almost really tough on those grassroots referees to make the right calls when they don't have the benefits of technology. They only get one look at it and um, the rule is certainly conflated. Anyway, let's move on from handball because I'm sure we could spend a whole podcast talking about it. But if you've got an opinion, let us know. Make sure you send us a message on Twitter. It's at the Sports Social. You can find us on Instagram, Sports Social Official. And if you're on Facebook, just search for Sports Social and you can find us there. Let us know what you think about the handball rule and whether it should change or whether it should just stay the same. Time for transfers now. 
now and we'll start with Spurs who are chasing striker Carlos Vinicius from Benfica. We've mentioned Harry Kane earlier on in the podcast, but in terms of needing a replacement when he's injured, which seems to be more often than not, Jim, um, unfortunately for Kane, um, how crucial is it that this person coming in, whether it's Vinicius or someone else, is good enough and comfortable with playing second fiddle to the England man? It certainly seems someone that Jose Mourinho is keen to bring in. And I think the way Spurs play under Mourinho, they do need that focal point. And as we know, Harry Kane doesn't seem capable of playing a whole season. So they do need to find backup for him. And it's a difficult one. As we've discussed before, it needs to be a player who is of the quality that he can make an impact in the Premier League. But at the same time, he needs to be comfortable sitting on the bench for 30 games a season as Harry Kane's understudy. So you can kind of see what Jose Mourinho and Spurs are trying to do in this window. They're going after very similar players and they're players that probably aren't going to be first choice in the Premier League. But they're also players that fit very much a profile and that profile is big, strong, attack-minded lumps of forwards. And I think Carlos... Venusius, from what I know about him, which isn't very much, if I'm honest, he is very much in the... I mean, they were looking at Troy Deeney, weren't they, earlier in the window? He was being linked with a move to Spurs. And, I mean, with no disrespect to either player, they're not dissimilar in terms of the way they play. So, I mean, certainly Jose Mourinho sees this as an absolutely fundamental bit of strengthening that he needs to do at Tottenham this season. And you can understand why as well because the other attacking options that Spurs have at their disposal the likes of Son and the likes of Bernstein and they're not that type of player they're not that big physical centre forward that we know Jose Mourinho loves. I just wonder whether Jose is trying to kind of cover his options Stefan and have the luxury of being able to choose both someone who's a little bit more finessed around the penalty area like Harry Kane whose positioning is excellent and someone who can just come on and bully defenders if needs be in Vinicius maybe I'm being a little bit um, harsh on Vinicius's other skills but certainly he probably offers a little bit more of that than Kane does I think he's just hedging his bets he's, he's, he's looking for a first class second rate striker if you get what I mean somebody who's happy <laughs> well that, that's exactly what it is somebody who's happy to make 25-30 appearances a season more often than not from the bench um, if you look at him he, he did well last season he scored 18 goals um, but he struggled uh, after a big money move to Monaco uh, the year before, only scoring two goals. So he's gone. I think I think it's fair to say that the Portuguese league is probably a little bit weaker than the French league. So he's yet to prove himself, is what I would say. What about West Ham, Jim, your club? Any expectations from the two new signings, or at least one new signing that's being touted to come into the London Stadium over the next couple of days? One of them from Slavia Prague, the same place that Thomas Salcek came from. Um, and also a player possibly coming in from the Belgian league as well. So rather than focusing on the players themselves, because I think it's fair enough to say that probably all of us don't really know too much about them. <laughs> the business that West Ham is doing comes from smaller leagues, or at least it has been in the last few signings they've made. Is that going to work? Will it work? We saw Aston Villa looking to dip into the Belgian league last season and they struggled. I mean, is this concerning from West Ham? The fact that they're looking in the smaller markets to pick up players? It's 100 percent the way West Ham need to do business but they're not set up to do business in that way we as a club the budget isn't there to go and find the Peruvian proven Premier League player or even go <laughs> Peruvian, a Peruvian Premier, League. Premier League player do you know what <laughs> no, 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 Solano. <laughs> yeah. I think there probably is the budget for Peruvian Premier League player but as for a proven Premier League player they're not going to be able to poach someone from another Premier League club mainly because a lot of players don't want to play for West Ham because it's a 
circus at the moment. <laughs> but the um, but yeah, I mean, and even going into those championship clubs, the likes of uh, Norwich that that um, got relegated last season, or Brentford, who had some talented players who failed to come up. I think that's out of the question in terms of the finances that are available at the moment. So dipping into those European leagues is absolutely spot on. The problem is the club as I've said before are not set up to do this in any way they have one scout they don't have a European scouting network David Moyes the reason the transfers have been slow this season is because David Moyes is watching videotapes or probably not videotapes probably a DVD nowadays of players that he might fancy that are being offered to him by agents of other clubs which isn't an effective scouting method in my opinion, or in anyone's opinion, I imagine. So, yeah, I mean, it's exactly what West Ham have to do. They have to find those bargains elsewhere, and it has worked. It did work with Thomas Suchek. Whether it happens again, whether it works again without that scouting network, I very much doubt it, because there are Premier League clubs who are much better set up to find this talent, and you'd imagine if they've got better setups, they'd be, they'd be picking off that, picking off the prime, the prime cuts from those leagues much earlier than West Ham are. Yeah, certainly. It feels like, you know, if West Ham are going to sign players, they're going to need to hit the ground running. And I think that it's almost like a like a get-out-of-jail-free card, like an insurance policy, a bit of a buffer, I suppose, Stefan, when you're signing players from the lower leagues around Europe. Because if they don't perform, then you can just say, oh, well, we only got him for a couple of million from the Czech Republic or Belgium or Switzerland or whatever. But you can't really afford to take too many risks like that in the Premier League. Sometimes it can be a genius policy. Like, for instance, if you get two or three of these players and they come in and they perform and they make it work. But, you know, by the law of averages, you are going to need to spend money on some players who are able to come in and perform at that high level immediately. Well, you just listen to Jim there and he doesn't sound very excited whatsoever about the prospect of Vladimir Kufal coming to the Premier League. And that says it all really about West Ham, doesn't it? Am, am I under the impression here that West Ham are struggling a bit with money? Because uh, David Gold was flogging his memorabilia the other day. Yeah, he um, sold his uh, the second ever FA Cup trophy. I think he got around 800 grand for it, which isn't too bad. I mean, well, there West you are. Ham... You might be able to sign the top top goal scorer from the Czech League last season then. <laughs> I mean, they're certainly um, they're pleading poverty, the West Ham owners. I mean, if the club's in trouble... They could probably just maybe cut down the huge interest on the loan repayments that they take from the club. So I'm not sure that's a particularly effective argument that the 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 um, the owners and the club can plead poverty. But certainly there is a there's a budget restriction on West Ham. The argument being that Suchek and Bowen, who came in in January, came out of the summer's transfer budget instead of the January transfer budget. So I mean. You've got to give these players a chance. I think there'll probably be a lot of um, negotiation around how the transfer is structured. I imagine these players will come in on loan with a view to buy at the end of the loan deal. I think that's probably how West Ham will look to do it this year. And it'll be fingers crossed that it works. What I would say that is that uh, the greatest ever uh, Hearts player, Rudy Skatchel, came from Slavia Prague. So... If, if that's anything to go by, I think you're onto a winner, Jim. <laughs> you never know. You never know. You can find some good players, can't you? But um, like I say, West Ham aren't necessarily set up to be leading the race when you're uncovering new European talent. Well, West Ham fans might not be particularly happy with their summer transfer business, but one set of supporters who have been pleasantly surprised, and a manager too, is Newcastle United fans. And we'll be speaking to Chris Woff from The Athletic about Newcastle United in Floodlight Focus after this. 
Football's Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Football Social Daily from Sports Social. Find us on Twitter at the Sports Social. Welcome back to Football Social Daily. This is the only daily Premier League podcast you can find. Nowhere else does that. Every single day of the season, you'll be treated to a brand new show from us. All you need to do is hit subscribe and you'll be notified of a new episode as soon as it's ready. Right, it's time for Floodlight Focus. And today, the spotlight swivels around to Newcastle United Football Club. There's always something interesting going on at Newcastle. And to join us to talk all about the Magpies, we've got Chris Woff, who's the Newcastle United correspondent for The Athletic. How are you doing, Chris? Yes, I'm very good, thank you. How are you? Yeah, very, very well. I'm actually quite interested to talk about Newcastle with you because I wanted to ask you about what the general vibe is on Tyneside heading into the season, or at least what it was before the season begun, because obviously there was a big lingering cloud in terms of this Saudi takeover, which eventually fell through um, decisions made by the Premier League. And then, of course, there was a flurry of signings from Mike Ashley. So were there still tempered expectations at the start of the season or did things kind of pick up a little bit despite the takeover falling through? Well, it's been a really strange few months, even by Newcastle United standards. And certainly once the takeover collapsed at the end of July, there was extreme disillusionment across the support base. And a lot of fans really did worry about what was going to happen this season. Steve Bruce had admitted that it had affected uh, their plans for the, for the season, what, what they were looking to do. And basically behind the scenes, things had almost shut down for a certain degree. Decisions had been postponed and suddenly the current administration had to pick up on that. And so I think certainly towards uh, the start of and middle of August, there was, a, there was a lot of concern about where Newcastle would be. A lot of fans feared relegation. And then, as you mentioned, there was suddenly a flurry of three signings in, in the space mm. of about 48 hours, the most important of which was Callum Wilson for £20 million from Bournemouth, a proper centre-forward, someone who, in theory, could come in and score the goals. And so from that point, I think there was... Uh, renewed optimism. I wouldn't say that it suddenly went to the Newcastle fans suddenly thought they were going to really be challenger of the top eight or anything like that. But suddenly they thought, mm-hmm. look, we the players have signed. This is a move away from what we've known under Mike Ashley. They are seasoned Premier League players. Certainly in, in the case of Callum Wilson, he's 28 years of age, 20 million pounds from another Premier League club. That's something that Mike Ashley simply hasn't allowed to happen before and so mm. in that sense it looked like goals which had been the biggest issue for Newcastle at least they were trying to address that so I think that a lot of fans from that point moved from really fear and relegation to thinking right well I think we're gonna have a decent season here relatively I'm not saying decent in terms of what Newcastle fans would like it to be but relatively in terms of sort of mid-table and sure it's been a mixed start to say the least um so far yeah definitely I'd agree with that and you know, Steve Bruce seemed over the moon with the summer recruitment. Does that kind of speak volumes a little bit about what he was expecting heading into the season compared to what he's actually got? Yes, I think so. I mean, it, it very much was a Steve Bruce-led transfer window and that has a, a, policy, a change in policy as well from maybe what we've been used to before um, in terms of the head coach having a lot of influence, being able to get the players he wanted, being able to get those uh, players who were Premier League seasoned players, which is something we haven't necessarily seen before. So I think he did... That he felt a lot better about that. Certainly last summer when he came in, the signings who arrived, including Joe Linton, obviously for £40 million, they were signings he basically ratified rather than uh, he had done the groundwork for. And so being able to bring in these players who actually mm. were his players and this look a little bit more like his squad, I think that's something which he feels uh, has helped them and really has aided them. And, and we've seen from Wilson already has two goals 
has looked decent. Callum Fraser's going to take a bit of time to get up to fitness. Jamal Lewis, left-back's been an, an issue for a long while. Jeff Hendrick, we've seen a little bit from midfield as well. Again, not an exciting player by any stretch, but just someone who you know is very capable of doing the, the job mm-hmm. that he's needed to do in that midfield. So I think he, he, he was pleasantly surprised by the window they managed to have. Focusing on Callum Wilson a little bit more, I think it's important to caveat that Joel Linton was played out of position last season as kind of a lone striker, picking up that number nine shirt, which obviously has quite a weight of expectation up in the northeast. And then he, you know, for Hoffenheim, where he came from, he was playing out off the left and he seems a lot more effective off the left. And I know Newcastle thumped Morecambe in the Carabao Cup a couple of weeks ago and he played off the left and looked really, really strong in that position. I mean, with Wilson coming in, does that give now Joel Linton the opportunity to kind of play off the left and earn his stripes, so to speak? Because there was always going to be a burden of being Newcastle's most expensive sign in the £40 million, like you mentioned before, that they paid for him. Hasn't really come off for him in that lone striker role. So do you think that now bringing in Callum Wilson is actually going to help Joel Linton in a way? I think it can do. I actually thought it would have helped him more if the number nine shirt had been taken off him and given to Wilson. I think that that just brings with it connotations and whether they're fair or not with Newcastle United that shirt Mm. does symbolically mean a lot and my understanding was that basically Wilson was told at first he would get it and then basically there was a a change of plan I think that Joe Linton wanted to keep it for a period but I think in the short term it may have affected him mentally to do that but in the long term it would have aided him now we did see him play off the left against Spurs and we did see far more from him in the ability to be able to, to maybe carry the ball towards goal rather than have to face away from it and play with his back to goal um, I still think that though the, the issue at the minute that Joe Linton has is if everyone's fit, I'm not sure that he gets into to what would at least be my strongest eleven. And I think a lot of Newcastle fans would probably agree with that. That that even as a left-sided forward or a deeper forward, that's probably still not he's still not in the first eleven. And for someone who costs forty million pounds, as much as you don't want price tags mm. to. To, to, to weigh someone down. The reality is Newcastle invested all that money on him for a reason and at the moment he doesn't look like he's in the best eleven. And so I do think it'll relieve some of the pressure from him. I think hopefully those goals against Morecambe will give him a little bit more confidence if he can get some more in the cup and in other games then maybe that will really start to help his self-belief grow. But I, I do think that, that, that Wilson being the main man is the best for everyone, really, because then the, the pressure is on Wilson and Wilson seems to be someone, at least from how he's performed and spoken so far, embraces that pressure. Mm, yeah, I mentioned the takeover just a moment ago as well. Is that long-distant pass now for Newcastle fans? I know that there was reports suggesting that there are other investors interested. I mean, the American Henry Maurice was touted as possibly being interested in taking over the club. Can Newcastle fans, for the time being, put to bed any pipe dreams of another takeover? Is that kind of long in the distant past for the time being well this uh takeover is is really the never-ending saga and so i think that's what's been difficult about this whole thing is that there hasn't really been closure yet given that although the takeover was withdrawn in july and there's been another attempt to bring it back and then newcastle united have released a statement the premier league have released a statement basically claim and counterclaim and in theory it is mm. there is still interest in the background and Mike Ashley now is trying to to, fo- to go down legal routes to see if he can force a way for the Premier League to somehow ratify this so that the actual takeover from Amanda Staveley and PIAF is still in theory possible although I wouldn't I don't want to get Newcastle fans hopes up and say that anything is imminent and I don't think that we're likely to hear anything in the next few weeks maybe even months about that but in terms of other interests the likes of Henry Maurice we've had uh, East Asian interest I don't think that 
any of that really is is realistic for something for, for the likelihood that, that that Newcastle United are someone else is going to come in with a big bid during the pandemic. So for now, Mike Ashley is in charge. Mm. He's actually been attending games as he told the players he would when he saw them over the summer, and that is makes a change from last year. So. Um, yeah, I think for for the foreseeable future, as much as Newcastle fans may want rid of Mike Ashie, and as much as Mike Ashie may want to be rid of the club, he remains the owner. It is good that he's turning up to the games and going to the ground, but I do wonder whether the fact that there's no supporters might be helping him out a little bit. I do wonder if he would have made that decision had there been a full crowd of 50,000 or so at St. James's. Um, I want to ask about Steve Bruce because... As we mentioned before, he's been quite pleased with the transfer window this summer so far. Still a few days to go, but it doesn't feel like we're going to see anyone new through the door. But in terms of his style of play, there's been a lot of criticism as to whether he's just, you know, uh, a Tim Pot, Rafa Benitez or whatever you want to call him. I think that's slightly disrespectful to Bruce, who's been around the block in the game, to say the least. But there are a few concerns amongst Toon fans about the way that Newcastle are playing and maybe that they flattered to deceive a little bit. Yeah, and I think that they are fair criticisms to a certain extent, and ones that Steve Bruce himself takes on board. Look, he's been at the club now for about 14 months, and to begin with, he tried to change his style and didn't think that he could, and basically reverted to to quite a defensive formation, five at the back, and Newcastle eked out a lot of points last season in really what was an unsustainable manner. And then sort of either side of lockdown and project restart, he tried to change things, he moved to a 4 2 3 one Alan St. Maximum was playing really well and Newcastle looked like they were creating more chances and they had Dwight Gale, a proper centre-forward, in the team and he was scoring goals as well. But then injuries struck towards the end of last season and they started this season with a 4-4-2 West Ham and it worked for that one game but then they played against Brighton with the same formation and really got ripped to shreds and went to Spurs reverted to that five at the back again. It was very much, how they got a point from that game, I have no idea. It was very much this sort of passive approach, this deep line defence. And I think that that is part of the issue that Newcastle fans have is that they they don't yet see what the clear style and clear vision is yet. Now, Bruce has been asked about this week and he's tried to defend that and said, look, I will develop this. I've now got some other players that I want. They need time to be able to bed in. And that's fair enough. But I do think that over the course of the next two or three months, Bruce really needs to, to start evolving that style because there are some Newcastle fans who really are growing impatient with, with what they see as the t- the likes of Brighton and, and other teams like that, maybe Aston Villa who have been in the league less time or similar sort of time than Newcastle and are starting to develop whereas Newcastle are in their fourth season back in the Premier League and yet mm. still they seem so passive when they don't have the ball. That certainly feels like a an observation from the outside looking in that Newcastle fans are kind of growing ever more frustrated with the fact that they've seen what their club has achieved in the past and they've known how big a hitter they are in the Premier League in previous seasons and yet they are seeing the likes of Brighton exceeding them in the, on the pitch at this moment in time. So, so it is understandably frustrating if you're a Newcastle fan. So what would kind of be the general expectation for, for Newcastle in terms of a finishing spot in the Premier League this season? I mean, there's always this kind of joke where Mike Ashley will be happy as long as Newcastle stave off relegation I mean are we going down those lines again this season Chris will it be similar story for Newcastle in terms of that in terms of a league placing or can they aim slightly higher this campaign I mean I do think that they will survive but I don't think it'll be a sort of season as I said earlier where they're going to suddenly push for the for the top eight or anything like that I think that like last season when they pulled clear and basically even before lockdown they were safe. I'd like to think that they could try and do that and maybe by February sort of March time be in a position where they can start thinking about 
break into the top 10 and, and a lot of you get some Newcastle fans who go oh, well is that the height of our ambitions and I understand where they come from and but mm. the reality is that this is remains Mike own a club football club owned by Mike Ashley and as far as 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 I am concerned, the cl- people side of the club dispute this, but as far as I am concerned, there is no ambition to really break that high into the league. It's about for them. It's about first of all, let's be seventeenth, and then if we finish any higher, great. Mm-hmm. So I I don't think that they yet have a squad that can really challenge top eight. Maybe pushing. So I think somewhere between ninth and thirteenth. I think that's realistically where they're likely to finish, which basically is a repeat of the last. Uh, three years to be honest I don't think they've progressed enough as a squad and as a team to really be able to aim higher yeah certainly be interesting to see where Newcastle United do finish this season Chris it's been a pleasure to chat to you mate Chris writes for the Athletic so go and check out the Athletic and where can people find you on social media uh, at Chris D H Woff uh, that's W-A-U-G-H Football's Social Daily find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk Football Social Daily from Sport Social. Find us on Facebook. Search Sport Social. Welcome back to Football Social Daily. It is Thursday. The weekend's fast approaching, so it's time to do your Claudio Ranieri where it comes to your fancy football team. Make those changes. Do a little bit of transferring here and there. But before you do so, we're going to have our regular catch-up with the guys from Game Week podcast, the fantasy football podcast. We haven't got Matt today. We've got Dan. How are you doing, Dan? I'm all right. How's it going? So normally we speak to Matt on this. I assume you guys are competing in some kind of fantasy football league just so we get an idea of where the level is, who's winning. It's actually neck and neck as of this week. Wow. I I had two weeks of glory and he's sort of spawned his way into neck and neck this week. So funnily enough, last season we were very tight into the last game week. There was 20 points between us, which he ended up winning uh, with lots of fortune. And uh, yeah, somehow he's pulled out of the bag and caught me up again this season so I mean everyone in the league always ends up with exactly the same teams anyway so I guess that's more so with you two when you're talking about fantasy football every week you're gonna kind of end up with very similar teams the thing is with Matt is he he's what he calls a salad dodger he refuses to choose Mo Salah and it's not because he's a massive racist it's because he's uh, (laughs) it's because he's just got this thing where he feels like it's cheating to have him in which is ludicrous because he would have had Ronaldo back in the day and Lampard and Omri and people like that so he's got this weird thing and now he's he's stated on the podcast about two seasons ago he'd never pick him and so now he's stuck without him which kind of puts pressure on me to pick him rather than Mane as a differential between us yeah we're going to attempt to answer some of the questions that have come in via the sports social social media channels hopefully you can give some advice to people who are making changes to their teams ahead of the weekend first one comes in from Paul who says quite frustratedly I'm done with Werner he's too expensive to be firing blanks and I'm ignoring Matt's advice last week which said to keep him for the time being and I'm going to get rid who should I go with instead big investment Werner and he hasn't performed in the Premier League scored his first goal in the EFL Cup earlier in the week but obviously Paul's had enough so if he's going to put his money elsewhere where's it going to go I mean I can understand Paul wanting to ignore Matt because that's a reasonably good idea but um, (laughs) see I didn't go with Werner to start with and I thought it was a bit of a risk but I don't new strikers in the new league it's always something a little bit troubling about doing that and you never mm. know if they're going to be on penalties and how they're going to settle in the thing with Werner I mean he is too expensive to be getting blanks but the fixtures from are really good now so you'd have thought you might want to give him just that one more week 
just to see, especially after, like you say, after he already scored against Spurs, good goal as well. Mm. Uh, and they've had some tough fixtures. I mean, you can't fault him for not scoring against Liverpool when they got 10 men. It depends what he wants to do. I have tried to keep away from premium strikers really this season because I think there's more points in midfielders or even some cases, you know, the premium defenders. So for me, I, last season I didn't really have him, but this year I've had Ings. He actually has gone down to 8.4, which seems kind of ludicrous given that he's had two good game weeks in a row they've got really good fixtures Southampton there's no Europe and it's not like his goals were fluky he scored a really good goal against Tottenham and sometimes this point of the season it's good to stay with the crowd uh, early doors uh, I've got also my own Jimenez who I did have a lot of last season but I wasn't sure how they'd take off this year mm. uh, I know they had that wobble there I say wobble I mean it was awful I couldn't see that result coming killed a lot of game weeks the uh, West Ham result But I'm a West Ham fan and I did not see it coming it was insane insane result really I, I think I mean he's 8.6 the thing with Jimenez is they're about to play Fulham and I sometimes with a certain with a season, I, there's a team that you just go every week. If someone's playing them, you almost want to bring someone in yeah, to play yeah. against that team because they're letting so many goals in. So, if you haven't already got Jimenez and you've got Werner, then I could see that might be a change. So uh, potentially make the change, but stick with Werner because they've got Palace and Southampton. I think the next two for Chelsea. So if he's going to score ever then it's going to be against those two. Don't forget they haven't got Pulisic back yet. Chilwell only just made his debut the other day. I think the supply line is going to improve for him. I think I don't think there's anything wrong with his confidence. Um, I just He's been unlucky in a couple of cases. I think the goals will come. But if you're taking the money out and then sticking it into a midfielder or a defender, then I can see why you might want to take him out. If you're just swapping it for someone of a similar price up front, then I think Werner's as good as anyone to stick with. I also just think, imagine if you're, it's happened already this season, people have taken players out, took out Son, took out Kane, people like that, and then look what happened, you know, yeah, people have point. been stitched up by a jump in the gun. Could get the hat trick and then you'd be cursing your luck. Next question from William G, who's got an interesting theory about Manchester City. He says, with no Aguero and no Jesus at Manchester City, it feels like there could be some goal scoring value in midfield. Who should I be looking at? Is there anyone beyond the... I mean, it's probably Sterling or De Bruyne in all honesty. Is there anyone beyond that that maybe William should be taking a punt on? I mean, it's such a dangerous game to predict what Pep's going to do in midfield, isn't it? They've got Mm. so many players there and we've still got the deadline to come you don't know who they're going to get in even before that I don't know that they're linked with anyone but it doesn't mean anyone might well, they not weren't linked with in. Diaz before he suddenly popped out of nowhere no one had even heard from before Wednesday and then Thursday night he signs yeah this is what I mean so you never know they've got the money haven't they I mean Mares is the obvious one because he's so much cheaper than De Bruyne and Sterling so when they're blank it won't be quite as annoying he just scored 12 points but then he didn't play in the first game week and that is the situation with Pep this season, isn't it? You just, you don't know. And then um, Foden is the other one, of course, 6.6. So even less of a risk in many respects. But he got bought off early, 63 minutes when they were losing 5-2. Mm. I mean, you look at the fixtures, away Leeds, home to Arsenal, where West Ham. I've got De Bruyne. I'm sort of thinking I should just stick with De Bruyne. He's a bit like having Mo Salah, where one week he'll do it, one week he won't. I feel like most people have probably got Sterling or De Bruyne, especially while there's no... No one obvious up front. I mean, the other thing you haven't mentioned is uh, the lap is if you really oh, yeah. want to be taking a risk. I mean, he only played 39 minutes, but he's 4.5 million. If they feel like maybe against inverted commas, one of the weaker sides, he's uh, worth a punt, then you could see something from him. But you never know, dear. I'm going to stick with De Bruyne and I'm going to try not to rage transfer him out. I, I don't see beyond that. Mares, if I had to, if I wanted to save money, De Bruyne or Sterling to Mares, and you got an extra 3 million in the bank. 
is a possible move I'd be interested in to get in the likes of Mane or Salah. Are you kind of thinking that because, as you say, Pep's a little bit unpredictable, he likes a bit of squad rotation every now and again, that actually you might be best off? I mean, you're talking about premium price tags for a lot of these players. You're probably best off looking at the other clubs that maybe have more steadier lineups. I mean, they're the high scorers, aren't they? They're infuriating because you want to be part of it because towards the end of last season, after lockdown, they scored so many goals. It was insane. And uh, you had to have De Bruyne, I think, at that point. And you almost potentially had to have him and Sterling. I can't necessarily offer advice other than to just go with what you want to do. If you want to go all in, you know, if you want to go all in and go De Bruyne, then that seems like you're avoiding, uh, avoiding responsibility there a little bit. I Dan. can't be held, <laughs> honestly. Who the hell could be held responsible for what Pep gets up to? I mean, I don't even know if he knows what he's going to do the day before. We'll settle for that anyway. We'll see if you can do better with the last question, which is coming from Lenny, who says, who is the best sub £6.5 million price tag striker? Now, you've said you've avoided premium strikers, so this should be your your forte yeah. this the three he's picking between at the moment feel free to throw in someone else if you like Mope uh, Brighton Wilson or Bamford are your three choices there oh I mean those are some tricky picks I don't think there's anything wrong with having especially as a third choice striker at the moment you know I've got the uh, Liverpool fellow I've just decided Brewster 4.5 I just decided okay. to take the hit and if he ends up at Sheffield United as was rumoured then all the better but at the moment I'm not going to play a bench boost and I'd rather save money there and put it elsewhere Wilson at Newcastle there was a stat I think they had a stat that they had three shots all season and the only shot against Spurs was the penalty I think he'll do better when he's back with Fraser remember the Wilson Fraser tag team they were uh, doing nice business down at Bournemouth for a while so I would maybe Fraser's back in the lineup. St Maxim's been injured and sort of poor as well so it doesn't feel like goals are coming from him, but the fact he's on penalties is nice. He's not for me at the moment. More pay. My issue with him is I just don't associate Brighton with scoring many goals. No. Uh, he got 10 goals, do. three assists last season, and he played a decent amount of minutes. Every now and again, he does look good, and they looked good against Man U, but then I don't know if that's them just looking good against Man U because Man U aren't defending so well. <laughs> and then who was the other one that Lenny Bamford. said? Bamford. Who everyone the one was that... kind of very critical of pre-season. They didn't think he'd be able to cut it in the Premier League. And now, I mean, he's got a few in his first few games, but... Is he the new Timu Piki? Is he the new... He does really well. Everyone gets on him. And then it's a case of mm. make the nice money out of him and get rid as soon as you can when his, his price has gone up higher. Because he's going up. He's 5.8. Out of the three, he's the one I'd probably get because... I don't really like the idea of sticking the extra money on the other two. With with him, I don't know. I feel like he might be a flash in the pan and he has been subbed off early here and there. The one guy I wasn't mentioned that I'm keeping an eye on, but I don't know whether I want to get him or not yet, is uh, Chris Wood at Burnley. Mm. Yeah, he's only got the one goal so far this season, but they've only played the two games. Last season, he chipped in with 14 goals. Only one assist, but 14 goals, 21 bonus points. He's an interesting option. He's the guy out of out of that price bracket 6.5 and under that if I had to get one I would get actually just because I like how he plays and away in Newcastle away at West Brom I think he'd cause Tottenham and Chelsea problems in their defences at the moment and like I say he did it last season so you're not taking the risk that you would be with with Bamford so yeah striker questions are tricky I think I might have got stitched up I don't know what sort of questions Matt's been getting but a City <laughs> midfielder pick a City midfielder other than Sterling and De Bruyne and even then they're kind of risks until they start pumping into form three strikers that you can't really say for sure will score at the moment it's too early in the season to want to be too responsible for people's failings so I'm just saying what I'm going with at the moment and 
good luck to all of us. I'm not doing anything too mad at the moment. Tried and tested. When you finally give up the fantasy football stuff, then I think there's a career in politics. There's the, <laughs> the, 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 the avoiding of any kind of definite decisions. Hey, I'm staying alert. I'm staying alert <laughs> to uh, to what goals might be coming and what might not be coming. But at the moment, I'm just staying with the pack. I think sometimes it's too much of a wrong decision to do to anything too wacky too early. So I'm staying with everyone else at the moment and just trying to play it safe, go tried and tested, try not to make my moves too soon. I'm trying to be more zen with it, even though it'll affect my entire week when things go wrong. I'm just trying to be cool. So that's why I'm saying getting rid of Werner might be a mad idea. Taking no risk on some strikers that might not score might not be the way to go. And you gamble with Pep Roulette, you're playing with your life in FPL. Top man, Dan. Appreciate the advice. Thanks for coming on. If people want to find more from Dan and the Game Week boys, then you can get the podcast. Where's the best place to find it, Dan? Just Game Week on uh, any you know Spotify or iTunes, those kind of places, Acast. And uh, on Twitter and Facebook, we're at Game Week HQ because someone had already stolen that username <laughs> uh, five seasons ago, believe it or not. So yes, come and join us. From... There's a bit less sitting on the fence, I think. <laughs> Top it's man, just, Dan. These are people I don't even know. I'm happy to slag off Dyson's picks, but these guys you know this might be someone who's literally he's just lost his job he's you know he's he's rent due and he's thinking man i've got to get Werner in or am i getting or should i get mitrovic what am i going to do this is he could be hanging on by a thread here top man dan cheers for coming on take care cheers right that's it for today's football social daily but fear not if you hit subscribe you can get another episode tomorrow and the day after and the day after because as always of course we are the only premier league podcast which you can listen to every single day of the season so don't miss a single episode and also don't forget to leave us a review as well your comments about our show certainly mean a lot to us um as long as you leave five stars you can pretty much say what you want that's kind of the unwritten rule here at football social daily so go over to whatever podcast provider you use and leave us a nice little review and you might even get a shout out on the show that's it for today's podcast thanks very much Jim nice one thanks very much Stefan accidental ref (laughs) and we'll speak to you again tomorrow Football Social Daily from Sports Social find us on Instagram at Sports Social Official it's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash life's gotten mundane so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land you know what they say Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandslots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandslots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandslots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandslots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.